It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Rugger Report podcast in association with the Sunland Community Soup Kitchen. As we look ahead to Sunderland's first away game back in the Championship, which comes at Bristol City on Saturday. Of course, this comes off the back of our promising opening draw at the Stadium of Light against Coventry last weekend, which we may get some neutral thoughts on in today's pod. So for a slightly different neutral look at this weekend's fixture, and hopefully a bit of much-needed background on the Championship in general, we're very pleased to welcome Ryan Dilks from the Second Tier Podcast. Hello, Ryan. Hello, mate. I'm delighted to be here. I mean, when it comes to club podcasts, you guys are the creme de la creme of club podcasts. So as soon as I saw Sunderland promoted, I thought, right, follow Roker Report on Twitter. And now we've got a partnership, which I hope is only going to blossom as the season goes on. Well, with that sort of first response, you can come on every week if you like. We'll We'll just review every single opposition as we're going along but uh, yeah brilliant to have you on the the Rocker Report podcast I mean how are you keeping have you had a good summer have you enjoyed the Lionesses this summer uh, yeah the Lionesses were great I really enjoyed watching uh, that and then it culminating in the final at the weekend um, as opposed to the summer we've continued with the podcasts despite um, no football being on so it became a bit of a stretch at times actually having anything to talk about but we got there in the end and I'm just glad now that we've got football back because even though the summer is nice to have a little break, after a while I get a bit tetchy and I just want to talk about football again and have some football to talk about. So it was kind of a, it was an, it was a nice relief to have last weekend back in our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was good good to have. Very nerve wracking again. You felt the nerves again, but uh, but yeah, it was it was good to have it back in in, in that sense. But uh, but like I said, it's nice just to be speaking to a second tier podcast as Sunderland fans and be part of it at the same time rather than. You know, have our faces up, you know, yeah. pressed against the window, just wanting to be part of it. Um, and like I said, I imagine you're kind of fully back in the swing of things in terms of your coverage of the season. But I mean, tell us a bit about the background of how the Second Tier podcast started up and kind of your story so far. Uh, well, this is our fourth season doing the podcast now. So we haven't actually been going too long, I suppose, compared to some podcasts, but we've grown much bigger than we ever expected. In that time, um, we're now the number one championship podcast. I mean, there aren't that many around anyway, but um, we've got this wonderful audience now who listen to us week in, week out. And we're glad that um, we've got Sunderland now to join us. We were kind of a fingers crossed that Sunderland would come back because um, having lost Forest, Fulham, um, not as much Bournemouth, but, you know, 
big clubs, Forest in particular, a big club, we were looking for another big fan base to come up. So no disrespect to him, but when we saw, when it was between Wickham and Sunderland in the uh, playoff final, I was a bit like, please, Sunderland, please. Um, so that that was uh, that was always nice, as well as just having a big club like Sunderland back playing in a level where they should be, because they, well, they should be in the Premier League, really, but they shouldn't be in League One, should they? Well, I'm glad you said that, because, you know, I'll get, probably get pelters off neutrals if it come, comes from me, you know, seeing that. But, <laughs> but you said it's just you and Justin who, who do the yes. podcast, is, or, is, or have you got other people? It, it's me and Justin, um, but every Sunday we like to get a couple of guests on from other podcasts. So we've got a kind of contributor from every club um, who we have. We have two guests on and then we'll have also another one phoning in to give us a quick run through of how their game went so not only do you get the neutral perspective you also hear the thoughts of fans who will obviously have actually been to the games so you can see from a first-hand perspective how things went their thoughts who stood out that kind of thing I mean as I said you know right up the top it's it's nice to get some neutral views on on fixtures and you know you you talked about how big our club is it's always nice to hear that from not just us saying it because we're we're always going to think that but what what teams do you and Justin follow what who who are your teams in the championship Well Justin's a big derby fan so we well, were yeah. in the championship but that's uh, all gone very south very quickly <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I've kind of come out of the closet now and revealed that I'm also a Derby fan. And um, because initially we didn't want us to both be known as Derby fans, because otherwise we were worried about it being two Derby fans slagging off the rest of the league. But I think that's, I think the cat's kind of out the bag now with that one. So, so that was the main reason why we started doing the Championship podcast, because Derby had been in the Championship since 2008. So it was 14 years on the trot where we were in the Championship week in, week out. So we were kind of used to it by that point. And ironically, three seasons into us actually doing the podcast, we get relegated. So that was the main reason why we started the podcast in the first place. But we've come akin to the championship now. And I just love it as a league because it's unpredictable and you never know where each team is going to finish. Unlike the Premier League, for example, where you have a good idea of where each team is going to finish. And it's just the unpredictability and the the roller coaster ride and the craziness that you get week in, week out with the second tier. So was there any, you know, you're talking about Derby County, was there any conversation where it was like, did we make this into a league <laughs> second and third tier podcast? A third tier podcast? Just, no, uh, no, no it, it's always been the championship because we have we know the championship like the back of our hands now. When we first started the pod, we were like, okay, we're big championship fans because we've been around so long. Why not start having a chat about it? And because we watch a hell of a lot more championship football now than we used to because we try to watch as many of each game as possible. It's got to the point now where we are full-blown championship nerds and transitioning to the third tier would be too weird, really. But hopefully we'll see Derby back in the championship in the near future. I mean, we've started well, only one week in, but we've started well, we've signed really well. So, yeah, hopefully it won't be long before Derby are back where they belong. I can see Derby as that, like we were every summer, where people were going, yeah. they, they have to go up, it has to be this time, it has to be this time. Yeah. Well, you go one of two ways, don't you? When you're a big club like your Ipswiches, your Sunderlands, your Portsmouth, for example, you're either, you're either lingering around there for ages or you do like a Southampton or Norwich, for example, where you go down and go straight back up, so... It's either one or the other, really, and so you don't really see many teams, big clubs, going down 
and then getting promoted the second time of asking. It's always first time of asking or you're lingering there for an age. Yeah, no, I know we've getting you on to obviously speak about the championship and we're going to go through all of that. But one of one of my big fears of staying in League One for another year was, I mean, as you've you've rattled a few off there, League One's full of huge clubs now. Yeah, who were battling to get to get back up, and it's it's such a bizarre league. I'm mean, I was really worried if we stayed down another year, you know, that was going to take us another three four years to get out because of just the size of some of the other clubs in there. It's ridiculous, isn't it? If Sunderland had to have got promoted, then you could make a fair argument that there were bigger clubs in League One than there were in the Championship, or it wouldn't be too far off, would it? In terms of you know the stature of some clubs and the general attendances, I mean. The two biggest attendances in the champ in the f- whole of the football league in the weekend just gone were Sunderland and Derby. Um, they were the only ones to get over thirty thousand, and I think that just goes to show, you know, these are big clubs. And really, I mean, people would disagree with me, but I think Derby are a Premier League club. Um, Sunderland are without a doubt a, a Premier League club. So it's always a, a bit. I always like to see these clubs playing at the highest level possible as opposed to, I'm a bit of a traditionalist in that sense, like seeing a Bournemouth in the Premier League, for example. I mean, they've got every right to be there, but, you know, just in terms of the club size, it just feels a bit wrong in a strange way that you've got these big clubs outside who are looking up at Bournemouth, for example. I keep picking on them. Well, that's just going to infuriate fans, isn't it? (laughs) Well, I was was just going to give you a get out there because I'm old enough to think of almost Oldham Athletic as a a top (laughs) top flight club. But um, but, yeah, what's happened to them? But I mean, going back to your podcast, I mean, you said you're kind of fully underway now for for the season. I mean, but just for people who are kind of wanting to listen in, I mean, what's your kind of schedule, weekly schedule for releases? I mean, how do you do things? We do two episodes a week, one every Sunday and then... Uh, We'll do one every Thursday. If there's midweek games, we'll obviously talk about the games that have happened. If there hasn't, we'll look ahead to the games that are coming up. So you've got plenty of content from us. And um, as I say, (laughs) during the past summer, we were doing episodes every week, every twice a week anyway. So yeah, you get plenty of a a bang for your buck with us. And uh, we like to give as much content to listeners as possible, even when uh, the calendar is uh, a bit lighter when it comes to football there you go so yeah so anyone um who wants to hear more about you know who we're playing and what's going on in the championship get on to the second tier podcast but uh but yeah let's i mean go into the championship a bit because um it's a bit strange for me to think about things in these terms because Sunderland almost exclusively lived at this level when i was a kid you know we were always Mm. in that second tier but it's only our fifth season at this level this century um, and it's such a yeah yeah it was, it was bizarre when I was thinking about it because like I said when I grew up and I don't want to say when that was but many months ago we were kind of you know always at, always at that level we was always kind of fighting to, to get out of that but yeah fifth fifth season um, this century um, and uh, yeah it's such a strange league in terms of the mix of clubs you've got in there I mean you know you've got your big clubs dropping down from the Premier League game and to bounce back and they're mixing it with with you know so many we talked about those big clubs in league one so the amount of smaller clubs that have come up to the to the championships kind of increasing who were maybe punching above their weight desperate to establish themselves in in the second tier but i mean do you think that the championship's in danger of almost becoming a, a two-tier league in that sense i th- i don't think so but in a way i do think it is a bit of a in a way it's kind of a three-tier league this season because i've when I was doing my league table predictions, it was quite clear for me that you had a top eight, kind of a middle eight, 
and then a bottom eight. So Sunderland's were kind of on the periphery of bottom eight and middle eight for anyone wondering. Well, I'll come but, on to that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's the thing is before the pandemic happened, the unpredictability of the championship was at an all-time high because you had the teams coming down from the Premier League who were struggling to get back up. Then the pandemic happened and that set a lot of clubs back financially. And that meant that since the pandemic, I think only Leeds, Brentford and Forest have been the only teams who have been promoted who didn't have parachute payments. So as soon as a team comes down from the Premier League, they're automatically in a promotion bid once again, unless there's a disaster like we saw with West Brom last season. Um, And it's pretty much the same again this season. If you look at the vast majority of people's league table predictions before the season, it's basically the same top six. You've got Norwich, Watford and Burnley, wasn't it? So you've got those three in everyone's top six, pretty much, apart from anyone who's trying to um, be a bit out there, including me. But then the other teams who are up there are West Brom and Sheffield United, two other teams who still have parachute payments, considering they only got uh, promote, uh, relegated a couple of seasons ago. The only other team who everyone has had in their top six is Middlesbrough, and that's because they've got Chris Wilder as a manager and have spent pretty massively themselves in the past few years. So... The only way you can break that glass ceiling that you see in the championship right now is being very, very well run, which is what we saw with Luton last season breaking into the top six. They've got one of the lowest wage budgets in the championship. But because they've been so well run, they managed to break in there. And then Huddersfield as well signed brilliantly last summer. Um, It's not been as great this season, but that was the reason why they broke in. And Forest as well, they signed really well as well. So the only way you're getting in there now is if you are a very well-run club, which there are quite a few of in the Championship, or you just go out of your way to spend loads of money. But I think because of what we've seen with clubs like Derby, Wednesday and Reading, for example, who are all now feeling the after-effects of going out of their way to gamble with their futures and get to the Premier League, clubs aren't really doing that anymore. So I can see why people may be worried that it's becoming a bit two-tier, but I think it's starting to get away from that because clubs are now looking and thinking, if we sign well, we don't have to go out there and spend a shed load of money on players. Yeah, and and looking again at those bigger clubs that drop down, you've already mentioned that advantage that comes with the parachute payments. I mean, everyone can see the theory behind it, but then does it start stretching the point of it being a fair competition in the Championship? 100%. I've... Initially, I was the same as a lot of people who were for parachute payments. I could see why they were there. But now I don't really see the point. You look at Fulham last season, for example. They managed to keep hold of Alexander Mitrovic, John Michel, Seri. So many players who were on massive wages by um, championship standards. And they don't need parachute payments anymore. The parachute payments are helping them to keep hold of the players that they should really not be keeping hold of anymore. So it gives teams coming down from the Premier League are a massive unfair advantage and I think the EFL to be fair to them are now seeing the light with that and it seems like they are going towards the idea of getting rid of parachute payments how it works out I'm not sure my suggestion would be making sure championship clubs and football league clubs have more of the money that's going around in the Premier League is that actually going to happen I'm not too sure because I think the Premier League will be fighting tooth and nail to keep all the money they can in the top flight but I think we are 
at some point in the near future going to see parachute payments get eradicated. Yeah, in the championship, it seems to be quite a lot of the big issues when it comes to the financial aspects of most clubs centered around the championship. It seems to be that's where the biggest problems are in terms of teams trying to overstretch themselves and getting into exactly. trouble. Exactly, and yeah. that's when you're a club like I keep going back to him, but Derby, for example, the reason Derby nearly went out of business last year is because they overstretched themselves because they thought well the way to get promoted in this division is by spending beyond your means and that's what Reading and Wednesday have also done and that's why they've tried scrupulous methods like selling your stadium back to yourself to try and get around <laughs> financial fair play so yeah that, that clubs don't seem to be doing that anymore Middlesbrough have, are kind of the last club doing it but I think they're more sensibly run so they're not going to be you know facing financial destruction um, by going down the route of trying to uh, also try and spend alongside the clubs who are up there. Yeah, and I was talking to a Coventry fan last week, so it obviously went went well there, didn't it? But uh, yeah. but I mean, we'll, we'll get we'll get back to um, the kind of championship predictions because I want to hear more about that. You've you've already kind of mentioned a few, but uh, I want to just uh, get onto Sunderland a little bit and looking at the business we've got done in the summer. You know, Dan Ballard, um, Adjelisi at the back, Jack Clark signed from Spurs permanently, although we had him on loan. Um, we sorted a pa- uh, contract out for Patrick Roberts from Manchester City. Recently got a deal to see Alice Sims coming on loan from, from Everton. Um, so, I mean, w- what are your thoughts about how Sunderland have gone about their business, um, you know, in terms of preparing for the championship? Um, and what are your expectations about how we'll, we'll take up, you know, stepping up to League One? I think it's been very sensible. I, D- the Dan Bollard signing in particular is the one that's really caught my eye. And I think... If I had to do some sort of a ranking of all the transfers that have happened this summer, I think Ballard would definitely be in my top 10 because I saw a lot of him with Millwall last season and he was a rock at the back for them and such a young lad as well to be playing that well is really, really impressive. And I thought he'd go on loan again to another championship club this um, this season. And I'm, I'm talking, you know, probably a playoff chasing top R, uh, playoff chasing championship side. But for him to go to a newly promoted club and for him to go there permanently, I think is a magnificent bit of business from Sunderland. So that could be not just a signing that is quite impressive now, but in the future, it wouldn't surprise me to see Dan Ballard playing Premier League football at some point in the future. So I think that's a really impressive signing. Adi Elise, don't know too much about him, but I know he's had rave reviews from West Ham um, and many West Ham fans were thinking he should be get more of a chance in the first team, didn't they? So um, that one impressed me. Um, Leon Dejaku, don't know too much about him, to be honest. Jack Clark's a funny one because I've never been too convinced with him. I know he scored at the weekend, but when he was at Leeds, for example, he, he didn't really pull up too many trees. So when Le- when Spurs brought him for 10 million quid, I was a bit surprised by that one. But he is only 21, so he could still end up being a really, really good player. Um, and Ellis Sims, I think, is a really nice bit of business as well because I remember seeing a bit of him in uh, Blackpool um, when he was when they were in League One and I thought he was going to rejoin Blackpool last season, but it didn't happen for whatever reason. But I think him and Ross Stewart could make a really, really nice partnership up top with Stewart being the one who scores the goals and Sims being a kind of foil for him, playing off him. So yeah, I think Sunderland's business has been really, really good. I mean, looking at Championship managers for me. Just I'm at that age. Just seeing championship manager brings back quite a lot of memories. But uh, many many hours in front of uh, the old Amiga and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I mean, Alex Neil's been there and done it in terms of taking Norwich City up to the Premier League. Although obviously it wasn't from a position 
having just come up from League One. But do you see Alex Neal as possibly our biggest asset going into this season? 100%. Without a doubt, he's the biggest asset because I think he's a really, really underrated manager at this level because he got Norwich promoted before. Get Norwich were kind of in no man's land when um, he came in there, but then got them promoted. Sure, he didn't go too well in the Premier League, but show me an Norwich manager who has done well in the Premier League. <laughs> um, but then when he was at Preston, he was he, he got Preston performing above their level. We were talking a minute ago about, you know, clubs near the top of the, the championship having to spend above their means to compete. Preston were on the edge of the playoffs, despite having basically nothing spent on their squad. Their, their squad was made up of players like Ben Pearson and Daniel Johnson, for example, who cost, you know, triple digits, at the, the lower end of triple digits. And Alex Neal was getting the best out of these players. So when Preston got rid of him, it maybe was about time they tried something new and it's not gone brilliantly since then. They've just kind of coasted along in mid-table. In mid but I've always thought Alex Neal deserves another crack at this level. And any manager who actually gets Sunderland promoted after all those years in the third tier um, was always going to be, it was always going to take a massive, massive job. And I think Alex Neal is one of those who, sure, he at times he can be a bit um, a bit stubborn with the way he wants to play. And I'm sure at some point this season, Sunderland fans may not be too impressed um, with him not wanting to change styles too much. But overall, he's a really, really good manager at this level and um, he knows how to get the best out of the players at his, at his disposal. Um, and I think as long as he gets backing from Sunderland and, and without a doubt, think he will get backing over the next couple of years in the Championship, um, he'll reap the rewards and Sunderland will be thinking to themselves, Christ, I'm glad we got this guy in. Yeah, I think you have to go back to... To Mike Walker, in terms of being successful at Norwich in the top tier yeah. with, uh, you know, beaten by oh, wow, Munich and all that sort of stuff. But do you think Sunderland are in an odd position? You know, we've just spent four years in League One, but we might need to keep periodically reminding ourselves of that fact. If we start, you know, if we start kind of creeping up the table, doing well, you know, chasing promotion, that it not only kind of raises expectation, but the possible likelihood that the owners might kind of take that risk to make that final push. Yeah, without a doubt, because... I keep going back to what we were saying a second ago, but because of how the landscape of the championship has changed because of COVID, promoted teams from League One haven't had that much success. I remember many years ago when Wolves, they got promoted twice on the bounce, didn't they? It's not really happened since then. In fact, since the pandemic, the highest a promoted club has finished is 16th. And that was Blackpool last season. So I think Sunderland fans have definitely got to keep that in mind. If they finished above 16th, that has got to be put down as a really, really good season for Sunderland. I know many fans will just want to get back to the Premier League as soon as possible. And I, I don't see that happening this season, but I think it's going to take a, a bit of time. And as long as they keep patience with Alex Neal and continue to build a side capable of competing near the upper end of the Championship, then it will work out. But I, I, I do get what you're saying, that it wouldn't surprise me if things start they hit a bit of a flat bit of form at some point across the course of the season and Sunderland fans start to get a bit tetchy and uh, that transfers over into the hierarchy who think to themselves and mm, maybe it's time for a change but I hope that doesn't happen because anything that resembles lower mid-table would be a really good season for Sunderland yeah yeah and I mean you've mentioned um, the new signings but um, I want what players do you see in our squad that you can see doing well at this level and maybe wouldn't mind 
having you you wouldn't mind having a derby last season when you're in the championship. Well, I mean Ross Stewart is the obvious one, isn't he? Because he's just a phenomenal player. I mean, if you're talking about it from a derby perspective, then we desperately needed a striker last season. So <laughs> having someone like Stewart um, would have been really handy. But I can easily see him getting double-digit goals this season, which some of the fans may not think is that much of a tally, but I think any promoted team who has a striker who gets that kind of amount of goals in a season would be regarded as a really good season. Um, but Patrick Roberts is someone I'm keeping an eye on this season. Um, he's someone who I've always been a fan of, despite him having a mixed career so far. He's had some loan spells where he stood out, others more others where he hasn't um, stood out as much but I think he's clearly a talented player so he's someone I'm looking forward to seeing more of in a Sunderland shirt this season um, Elliot Embleton someone I've always rated um, and I think um, just overall Sunderland have got themselves an experienced squad that's capable of staying up at this level as well as having some young talent who um, are also capable of making the step up at this level. I'm also looking forward to seeing Luke 09 kicking 10 bells of S <laughs> out of uh, <laughs> out of players, as he already did against Coventry at the weekend, and uh, much to um, <laughs> the um, bemusement of certain managers like Jose Mourinho. But yeah, I really like um, the Sunderland squad, and I think it's without a doubt going to stay up this season. I'll be very surprised if they're in a relegation battle. Not a clash you, you usually expect, Jose Mourinho and Luke O'Neill, but nope. yeah, it did actually happen. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, going back to the the championship in general. I mean, you mentioned some of your season previews and predictions, but I mean, has it just been easy to say that? You know, people think Watford are going to romp home with the the championship and the title this season because in early signs in the summer, the people who they've got and they've hung on to suggest that they're the ones to beat. Um, I'm not sure if they are the ones to beat, to be honest. I think if they keep Emmanuel Dennis and Ishmael Assar, they'll be the ones to beat. But that's a big if, because both have been strongly linked with a move away. We had Middlesbrough to win the league this season, purely because of Chris Wilder being the manager. We are also kind of hedging our bets that they will sign a few more players before the window ends, but I think they probably will be. I don't think it's as predictable this season. Last season... If you went through everyone's league table predictions, I think everyone had the same top four in different orders of Fulham, West Brom, Bournemouth and Sheffield United because of what we were mentioning before about the financial strength of those teams and the parachute payments. This season, it's been a bit different. I think a lot of people have had the same top six um, of um, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Middlesbrough, Sheffield United and West Brom. Um, with a couple of exceptions here or there, I've had Luton in my top six. Um, <laughs> but I think I think overall it is particularly unpredictable in the middle section. Like there are quite a few teams you could pin down as dark horses this season. I've tipped Swansea to be a dark horse. Hull, they've got new owners now. So they're very ambitious and have already started signing some players who you wouldn't expect to see in a Hull shirt like Jean-Michel Serry, for example. Um my co-host Justin's quite high on Bristol City this season. I don't personally see it and I'm sure we'll go on to them in a sec. But there are so many teams who have the capability of challenging for the top six because they've got some very good players there who are just capable of making the step up and some managers who are also very highly rated and um, are just you know young guns who could be playing, uh, could be managing Premier League teams in the near future. Yeah, and, and maybe at the, the other end of the table, I mean, who do you see 
uh, maybe <laughs> struggling at the other end. You've you've got your obvious ones, maybe you know, like the teams who have just come up. But do you see any surprise teams that maybe might drop in and have a battle to stay up? There are certainly some surprise teams who could be down there. The obvious three that every, pretty much every league table prediction I've seen has had Birmingham, Reading, and Rotherham going down this season. Mainly because Birmingham and Reading are both absolute nutcases of clubs, and Rotherham just they always struggle at Championship level. Wigan, I think, will also be down there, but I fancy them to stay up because I, I, I quite rate Liam Richardson as a manager and I think the squad's all right. There are some clubs who could be in trouble though, like Huddersfield, for example, despite being in the playoff final last season, they've lost their head coach. They've lost some key players from last season. Blackburn were ones who people thought may be in trouble, but early signs from their first game, I don't think that'll be too much of an issue personally. Um, there were just a few clubs who I think could be in trouble, um, but overall, I'd be surprised. I'm quite high on the bottom three that I mentioned a second ago, just because I I think they're just in worse states than any other club is, to be honest. Just looking at the opening day results in the championship, I mean, did, did any stick out for you that might you know suggest maybe or maybe kind of confirm those uh, predictions? Because I'm thinking the likes of. You know, you mentioned Redden. They went down at Blackpool. I mean, I had that on my coupon. Although I did expect Luton to take three points from from Birmingham. But, I mean, I know it's opening day, but did any kind of results stand out for you based on what your, your feelings were before the season started? Um, I, I I won't get too carried away with the opening day results because I th- that's a mistake we've made in the past because it is just <laughs> the single game week. Luton should have won against Birmingham. They were the better team and... Nathan Jones will be definitely disappointed with that result, but I think it was just one of them where it just didn't go their way that day. Cardiff beating Norwich is the obvious one, isn't it? Because many people are expecting Norwich to win the league again. Norwich were very poor, though. So that's an early cause for concern for them. Having said that, Cardiff, despite getting the win, weren't great themselves. I think they only managed an expected goals of 0.08, and the goal they scored was let's be honest, a bit of a fluke. So um, I, I don't think I'll get too carried away with that one just yet, despite it being a concerning performance from a Norwich perspective. Burnley were the one who really stood out for me on the opening day because they just played some miraculous football that we haven't seen ever by players in a Burnley shirt. So they were really, really good. And I was a bit unsure about them finishing in the top six this season, but I think that performance gave me more confidence that they will. Um, it's a long season I remember West Brom starting very well last season but they ended up finishing 10th after just completely falling apart in the second half of the season but overall not really too much um, from the opening day apart from Burnley being probably a bit better than I was expecting yeah yeah and as we said I mean we're playing Bristol City uh, this weekend who themselves only dropped out of the championship for two years since 2008 so pretty established championship side um, but they have kind of struggled under Nigel Pearce in the last couple of years and maybe even beyond that it was kind of lower end of the table um, so I know you mentioned kind of Justin thinks they're going to improve on that but I mean what's your general feelings about Bristol City where they are this season? Bristol City fans are going to be fuming that you've got me on the podcast <laughs> to talk about them because I've been I, I haven't really rated Bristol City's chances this season that's purely because they were they had a very mixed season last season. They scored the 
Um, well, they scored the f- um, sixth most goals, I think it was off the top of my head. Or was it the seventh most goals? Seventh most goals last season. But they had the third worst offensive record. Um, so they were great entertainment, but they dropped so many points last season from winning positions that it was getting a bit ridiculous. Now, they have strengthened this summer. Cal Naismith has come on, who for me was the best defender in the division. Last season with Luton, um, it was a bit of a surprise to see him go to Bristol City, but um, I think that's a good move. They've also brought in Kane Wilson, who's a very highly rated wing back from Forest Green. So they both look like good moves. Is it going to transform their defensive problems? I think it'll improve them, but I don't think it'll transform them. One of the reasons why they were so high scoring last season was because they had Andy Vyman, who was in the form of his life. He scored 22 goals and had by far the best goal conversion rate in the division, I think, for any player who scored more than double digits. But I don't see him having that good a season again because before that season, he had only managed double digits once in his career. So I'd be surprised if he does that again. But they have got some very good players. Alex Scott in midfield is a phenomenal talent. He's only 19 years old. He's someone to keep an eye on. He was being linked with Manchester United, but I'm not sure how much truth there is to those rumours but he's a really really good player Antoine Semenyo I think is out with an injury um, but he's a really really good player um, they have got some very very good players it's just Nigel Pearson as a manager who I'm not really con- too um, confident of I've always thought his career is a bit overrated um, compared to how m- much people actually think he is an accomplished manager at this level and I don't think Bristol City fans are completely convinced with him. I've seen some say they are, but they were booing him a lot and the team last season after games. So it wouldn't surprise me if he did get sacked at some point this season. But I I, I struggle to see them being anything more than mid-table, to be completely honest. Yeah, well, you mentioned actually that they, they lost Leeds last season. And obviously they did that against Hull on Saturday where they took the lead and then they lost in the 94 fourth minute I think it was but the, but they were in front at Hull but is there a chance you know if he hasn't fixed that Nigel Pearson could find himself under pressure quite early on this season yeah 100% if Bristol City aren't well if after the first couple of months they haven't secured I don't know five or so wins then that 100% he'll be under pressure because as I say fans aren't completely convinced by him anyway as far as I'm concerned I will be honest, the whole game was very unlucky. They had a penalty given against them, which wasn't a penalty in a million years by my standing. And the goal they conceded in the 94th minute took a massive deflection into the top corner. Um, And I I don't think I could could be too critical of that performance, but if they don't get off to a good start and they are struggling after the first couple of months, then yeah, Nigel Pearson will be certainly one of the managers at the front of the queue to be under pressure. I think even at the start of the season, there are probably three or four managers who are under more pressure than him, but he'll be certainly one of those under pressure, especially after they were quite active in the transfer window this summer. Yeah. And if Alex Neil's done his homework um, on Bristol City, which I'm sure he has, I mean, what will he be expecting from Nigel Pearson's side? You'll be expecting them to play direct. Andy Vyman, as I say, is their main threat. One of the hardest workers in the division and was one of the most clinical finishers in the division last season. Um, but I think if you get a leash on him, then you stop a lot of Bristol City's attacks. They like to operate down the wings, uh, particularly with the wing backs. They've got Jade Silva is another one who 
has had a kind of a mixed time there with injury, but is still a talented player on his day. So Alex Neal, they'll have to keep it tight um, with Andy Vyman and try to restrict the the attacks down the wings. But overall, I think Sunderland will be heading into this thinking this is one where we should be looking to get three points. Um, will they actually get it? Not too sure because, um, I mean, Bristol City were very hit and miss at home last season. They had a period where they didn't win a game for ages at home um, before they eventually managed to mend it and started being awful away from home instead. So, yeah, Bristol City are a hard team to nail down, but I think Sunderland can fancy their chances of getting three points from this game. You mentioned Semenyo, who has is injured at the moment. I'm not sure how big that injury is, but he struggled to make an impact when he was on loan to us two years ago, I think it was. But now Bristol City rejecting bids of around £10 million for him, which... You know, it's something that seems to happen quite often to Sunderland for some reason. But I mean, w- would you be surprised if he made a move away before the window closes? No, not at all. I think his injury may put people off because you don't really see players move too much when they're injured. But he's a marvellous player. Last season, he was fantastic. It's not just he, he, he improved on his goal scoring last season, but his link up play has always been brilliant. He's a fantastic dribbler and setting up chances. I can't remember how many assists he got last season, but I think it was double figures. So you've got yourself a player who's really, really talented and has always been quite highly rated anyway, but now he's actually showing it in his performances as well. And that's always a, a mix that I think a lot of clubs look for, someone who's highly rated behind the scenes, but is also doing it on the pitch too. Um, and he's still so young, so I think it wouldn't surprise me if he did um, move away from Ashton Gate this summer. Um and I think Bristol City fans wouldn't be too surprised to see him leave either. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we, we, we talked um, before about what to expect from Bristol City. But, I mean, just in general, when it comes to the championship, and I think it surprised a few people in our first game against Coventry because they came to the stadium alight and kept the ball well at times, um, although they didn't do a great deal with it. But I think they came out of over 60% possession for, at the stadium alight. Um and I mean, going back to League One, the difference in opposition from week to week there yeah. in League One was huge, where, you know, they differed so much from one side just parking the bus and humping it along. I mean, should we expect to see more sides playing, you know, that sort of possession-based football against us this season and maybe come out of games, you know, we should expect to maybe come out of quite a lot of games having had less than the ball in the opposition? Yeah, a million percent. I think, no disrespect to teams in League One, but... I think half the teams in League One will have a manager who likes to play long ball because they know that their squad isn't as strong as the teams at the upper end of the table. So they've got to basically be rough and ready and try to unnerve teams. Whereas in the Championship now, you you go through the managers who are here, there's just slightly more than a handful, I think, of managers who like to play long ball and even then quite often they're more than happy to have the ball around and uh, play with possession because I think the championship in terms of the actual talent here is only getting stronger and stronger and you see more managers think right we've got defenders now who can keep the ball um, and make that make the right decision when it comes to playing that pass so I mean you you look at the likes of Millwall for example they've got Gary Rowett they're always going to play longish ball um, and then Others like, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, I think Alex Neal is 
he's not long ball, but he's more direct, isn't he, than most managers. So I think he's one of only a few managers, really, who will play a more direct style than other teams in the championship. Because I think most of them now are thinking to themselves, our players are talented enough to keep the ball. So we may as well make the most of it when we have got the ball. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll have a big following down at Aston Gate, you know. Quite often, you know, this this time of the season when it's still warm, everyone likes a a good uh, trip away. But uh, we do like to travel in decent numbers anyway. Um, but do you think a lot of fans in the Championship are going to be happy to see us kind of back in the Championship to maybe create some of those decent atmospheres this season, or do you think most fans just see that aspect as a bit of a pain in the ass? I think I think every fan likes having a good atmosphere at games. Sure, it may not be nice to see your home support getting outsung by the away fans, but I think many people will be expecting that with Sunderland this season, just because they are such a massive club. Um, I think Bristol City away is that the the longest trip Sunderland fans are going to have to make this season. I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but it must Possibly. be it must be up there. I know there's quite a few northern clubs in the league this season, but. Either way, I think having a club like Sunderland with its massive fan base is a credit to the division. I, I watched the game against Coventry at the weekend and just the atmosphere in that alone was fantastic. And having 40,000 plus at a championship game is fantastic. So I think plenty of people will be looking forward to making the trip to the Stadium of Light this season, even though it is quite far away for most fans. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, I think many will be looking forward to having... Sunderland at their own grounds just because you know it's going to be a lively atmosphere and just to finish off because it's very rare that I'm able to get a neutral you know person to discuss the the fixture so I, I don't normally ask for a, for a prediction because it's pretty much worthless but who does your gut tell you will will get a result at uh, Ashton Gate this this weekend I, I was very impressed with Sunderland in the first game um, it's typical Coventry for them to go out and, you know, grab something at the last minute because they did that on so many occasions last season. I would say, I think a draw would be a fair result, to be honest. As much as I don't fancy Bristol City to pull up many trees this season, they have got a good squad and I think they'll be extra keen to get something on the board after throwing it away against Hull at the weekend and I think Sunderland will take a point as well I think they're going to finish around similar positions in the t- in the table this season so I'd, I'd go for a one all draw in this game just to be nice and boring <laughs> yeah there's uh, splinters in your backside there just trying to keep everyone <laughs> happy there right and I can you know I thought well you know being on a Sunderland podcast he's going to go for it and say we'll get three points but well, I, 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 I didn't want to say Sunderland because otherwise it'd be, I, I'd be like I'm pandering to the to the crowd, wouldn't it? But um, you, usually we try to be as honest as possible on um, the second tier. And I'm sure at some point across the course of the season, we may rub Sunderland fans up the wrong way. But honestly, it's just us speaking our minds because we don't see the point in just saying, oh, they played well, they played well. So I don't usually sit on the fence this much, ladies and gentlemen. I can assure you of that. Well, I'm biased. But I, I'm going for a one-one draw as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll, to be honest, I'll, I'll probably take that. But um, I mean, just just on that note, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us because it is hot as well. I don't know about you, mm. but um, I'm I'm roasting in this heat. And oh. uh, but yeah, thank you for taking the time out for us. And um, 
it's been a pleasure. I've been the utter professional that I am. I always shut the windows when I'm recording. (laughs) And after about half an hour of recording, I start to immediately regret that decision. But um, thank you for letting me come on the pod this week. Um, I'm sure it won't be the last time we speak over the course of the season, but I look forward to having a chat about all things Black Cats. That's it. And I look forward to catching up periodically as uh, to see how the championship's panning out and to see, you know, for you to tell us all your predictions were coming true. And all the, the incorrect predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Ryan. Really appreciate it. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, keep a look out, Rock Report, for all the build-up ahead of the game at Bristol City on Sun- uh, on Saturday, even. Getting used to playing on Sunday already. We've only had one game. Also, shout out to sign up to the Rock Report newsletter on the website. If you just sign up to that, it's going to keep you nicely up to date on what's posted on a daily basis. But from us, it's bye for now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.